Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 222, episode 5 of Dear Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. It's Friday, February 5th, 2022. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Jack is the best at the wordle. Jack is the best at the wordle. Jack is the best at the wordle. I promise that I don't cheat. Wordle power. That is an AKA courtesy of at Benny Swill Falcon fuck hat on Twitter for some reason. And I am thrilled to be joined today by a very special guest co-host, the original day one super producer of the daily zeitgeist. Many of the first-rate podcasts on this network, such as This is Important, Las Culturistas, you've heard her on her podcast with Shireen Lani-Yunis, Ethnically Ambiguous, and, of course, segments of this show, such as on a streaming corner, a TM, and it's, you know, iconic phrase, that's prestige casting, TM. It's Anna Hosnier! <laughs> It's, it's incredible you re- revealed how rich I am, that I just trademark <laughs> everything I do. It's true. I mean, that's prestige casting is you could you could really make a make a living off of that. Yeah. 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 I would even argue me not being able to book a guest host last minute and thus stepping in myself because this morning I was so <laughs> lazy is prestige casting That's of prestige me. casting right there. <laughs> yes. I hope this has a life for you like uh, the that's a deal breaker ladies thing from 30 Rock. I'm trying. Yeah, we're working I'm definitely on trying. Well, Anna, we're thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a very talented thinker researcher. She's the senior research fellow at the National Iranian American Council. She has a PhD in Middle Eastern history. Uh, She's a must follow on Twitter, among the most overqualified uh, humans to be a guest on our stupid show. It's Dr. S.L. Ray. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. This is a a nice change of pace for my day. (laughs) This isn't what you're normal. Uh, I, I told you ahead of the record that we will be talking about Dolly Parton's take on the Mexican pizza. And you were like, that is just what I was talking about in my last meeting. It actually, right. it actually probably was, to be completely honest with you guys. That's the behind the scenes of what goes on. We just trade, trade uh, fast food tips. <laughs> nice. Do I call you Dr. Red? Is no, that, I mean, please don't. Okay. Um, I mean, okay. It is fucking awesome. I sound though. like a villain from a Bond movie. I mean, the coolest villain from a Bond movie, Dr. Red. Come on. All right. I will call you ass out. Yes, <laughs> Dr. Rad. Dr. Rad. Or you could take the beginning part, actually, of my first name and call me Dr. Radass. Radass, that's there right. There you go. <laughs> Gets better. Also very cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How, how are you doing? Where, where are you coming to us from? I am in Orange County, California. Oh, lovely. Orange so County. I'm coming to you from sunny Southern California. I hate to show that off always, but I feel it necessary because it's just the only thing everybody always asks first. How is the weather? I'm like, it's still nice. For now. The same. Always. <laughs> it's still nice. It's still yeah. nice. It's still nice for now. I don't know. Climate will change things. We'll see where we go. But for now, it's still nice. Yeah, it's fine. All right. Well, we are going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about. We're going to talk about economic sanctions. What what that I th- we hear a lot about it in the news. We kind of brushed past it when we were talking about Cuba earlier in the week. But I want to just kind of put some detail into what what that means, what that does to a country. And we have uh, someone who's way smarter than me here uh, who has some expertise on that. So we will be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the Israeli foreign minister accusing Amnesty International of hate crimes for pointing out that Israel is an apartheid state. We will be talking about, uh, and then this is where we really get into uh, your sweet spot. SL. We're going to be talking about Rudy Giuliani being revealed as one of the singers of The Masked Singer and Dolly Parton uh, potentially maybe having just saved the Mexican pizza at Taco Bell. All of that, plenty more. But before we get to any of it, we do like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history? I think the last thing I searched was Netanyahu's cartoon bomb. Okay. Oh, (laughs) 
because there was a, uh, so uh, Senator Bob Menendez, I think it was two nights ago, spoke on the Senate floor about the Iran nuclear deal, because every time we get close to actually having a deal, people have to go into hysterics. And there's always really fun graphics <laughs> that accompany right. that hysteria. Right. Okay. And so it immediately made me think of this like cartoon bomb that Netanyahu held up in 2012. So we've been talking about this, by the way, for decades. Iran has been on the cusp of a nuclear weapon for decades. So there's this picture of Netanyahu holding what looks like a cartoon bomb from like a Looney Tunes cartoon. It's just yeah. like a circle <laughs> with, yeah. you know, a wick coming out. A bowling out ball with the wick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I searched that because I just wanted to put these two images next to each other as if to say, look, we're still doing this a decade later. Same types of images. And Menendez used what looked like a nuclear blimp. Yeah. So that was another fun graphic. It was a very friendly cartoon nuclear weapon for some reason. <laughs> that is true. You do see Netanyahu, Netanyahu has a history of kind of um, putting on these like shows that like He's like in front of a graph that's like, as you can see, why we are the best and Iran should be eliminated from everything. And then it's like it always I always remember like there was always memes that be like, it looks like he's on the set of like the Eric Andre show. Like it always just looks so camp and strange where you're like, what is the budget here? <laughs> where is <laughs> yeah, any yeah, of this coming is from? Very low quality. The production is, you know, you're like, OK. In the 2012 presentation, he also takes out like his like red Sharpie. And draws mm-hmm. a line, you know, on the bomb. So uh, right. it was it was a very advanced kind of tech that he was using for that presentation. <laughs> Wait, where did he make that presentation? I think it was the United Nations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really feels like like the level of you know thinking and planning that goes into like a kindergartner teacher like bring, bringing a visual for her class when trying to explain like a you know, a very basic concept to them. Yeah. I mean, that is how he is treating the audience, right? As if right. <laughs> no one has the capacity. the UN. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so there's a new one of these, and it's like the the big kind of missile that you would see in, in a cartoon. Where, yeah, like, but it's so like missile. fat and exaggerated that it really yeah. does look like right. it's like a blimp or something that's just, it, it looks a lot friendlier than than a nuclear weapon would, I think. And their purpose is to scare people, and yet they're <laughs> using, like, these friendly, like, these things might as well, like, get up and start singing a song, like, Dino DNA, like, the, like, it's just very bad, I, I don't know, bad, like, I don't know who approved their PowerPoint on this, but it seems like they're really fucking it up. Well, yeah, because if they wanted to scare people about Iran's non-existent, nuclear weapon right they just use images from the actual nuclear weapons we dropped right that would be scary oh right, look at this right. huge explosion <laughs> that yeah. killed uh tens of thousands of people immediately instead they go with wiley e. coyote's version of a bomb <laughs> right 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 <laughs> it really does it's so funny looking yeah it's almost i like there's also like arrows that point to it that say like fissile material check mark and then it's like construct warhead and then it's like a little like uh what are those things where this the sand falls through the timer and it's yeah. like with hourglass. time and your hourglass right. and you're like what is this <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you know, with time we could have some real danger on our hands yeah very usa today like chart li- little like chart that they have at the bottom of USA Today or that they used to. I don't know if they still do that. It's just like very ambiguous and vague and ominous. Like that's the, right. that's the approach. Right. What is something that you think is overrated? Success. Okay. And that's <laughs> it that. is, isn't it? I mean, like the concept <laughs> of success in our society is just like work, essentially. Work, 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 right. work. And that is defined as success. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if it's I all mean, Speak for yourself. I'm on my grind. I wake up at two in the morning <laughs> and get my workout in and then, you know, can't can't catch me sleeping. Uh, I also go to bed at four in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> like, what, the what does Mark Wahlberg go to bed? It's uh, something like that. And I guess yeah. I watched that Wahlberger docuseries he did and Wall Street, whatever it was called. And yeah, it looks like I don't know if he has that good of a relationship with his children because it feels like most of his time is spent on his phone doing business in quotes because right. who knows. 
And then the rest of the time is like traveling with like a full, like an equipment set that he starts working out with at like three in the morning. Yeah, no, he sounds like a blast. Oh, God, he seems, I just can't. If that was my dad, I would be like, I don't know. My dad's not Mark Wahlberg. I don't know what you're talking about. I would not admit to it. Everything you just described is the opposite of my dad. I don't think he's worked out since like the 60s. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time, like working out on one of those things that like jiggles you, like the thing (laughs) that like shakes you, one of those workouts. And I think at the time he went for like a walk. Like that was the (laughs) workout. Right. Skip rope for two minutes while smoking a cigarette. And like. That was definitely a part of it. (laughs) <laughs> I love that that smoking was such a huge I mean every footage or anything you see from like the 60s or 70s you're like oh they really are at the gym smoking a cigarette right oh okay so that's just that's just the way it went back well then. there's nothing like that post-workout drag from the cigarette right it's like oh yeah because your lungs have just opened up so right right <laughs> they're craving oh the, the good stuff but yeah I think I think good the success stuff. point is it's one of the most sort of nefarious, like parasitic ideas that like have been incepted into us that like make us feel bad if we're not actively working towards, you know, that that central like capitalist ideal of, you know, basically consuming and <laughs> making making other people consume or giving other people something to consume. And yeah, I think. I think people are maybe like having a sea change sort of moment where they're like, wait a second, I'm fucking miserable. Yeah. But I don't know. Wasn't there this concept of of like the great resignation? And it's like, well, that's where it's coming from. People are just like, this is, this is not a good system. We are unhappy extremely. So what can be done about it? And it's because you're right. I mean, success is, is defined by consumption and work. And like, if you're not, working that feeling of guilt that you get like you're not doing something was trained in you and it's not it's not real it's just we feel that way because we've been told that we have to constantly be working or doing something like that's considered productive Mm -hmm. but productivity is always related to like material gain and consumption and all that yeah like i think sleeping is productive it's extremely productive oh absolutely i mean it's the best thing you can do for your body and mind i agree i mean i feel like whenever i i'll be done with work and it's like 6 45 i'm like hmm, i'm definitely forgetting something i've definitely not completed my work and i should try and figure out what i haven't completed and then i'm like and then i'm just sitting around and i'm like i can't find a way to relax because i constantly keep thinking but i have more to do right i have right. more to do right it's uh becoming a bit of a mental illness for me and uh <laughs> are you are not great. alone that is everyone in the country that's the yeah. problem yeah i feel like I, I used to get a lot of anxiety heading into the week and I still do. And I used to think, oh, it's just like I have like all this stuff that I need to get done and stuff. But I think it's I think it's like my body's withdrawal from like doing s- productive stuff. And then mm-hmm. like I feel bad if I go like two days and then the sort of coming back to like the whole grind of it all make like gives me anxiety because yeah i i there's like some sort of like guilt i'm building up anytime i'm not actively like working on something and yeah that's why i'm a healthy person <laughs> you know uh, i yeah. think back i used to be able to binge a show in 2 days right and that's really like that was like my sweet spot. I can sit. I could. I used to be able to sit in my room and watch TV for hours. Now I can't do that anymore. Like I get tired and restless, and I'd be like, I have to get up and do something. I have to get up and do something. I have to get up and do something. And you know what? I miss that. I just yeah. don't want to do anything. I just want to lay down for hours and watch every episode of Sex in the City. I did that once. That was peak me. Now look at me. I'm always like, Jack, I've clocked into work. You, I do make you call me and tell me that every morning uh, <laughs> in that voice. Every day I'm like, Jack, I'm in work and I'm ready to hustle. It was Let's only once go. our podcast uh, team was bought by iHeart. And then I was like, okay, now you need to start using a morning zoo voice when you <laughs> clock in in the morning. But yeah. yeah. And then the, the really insidious thing is when the thing that you do for fun and relaxation 
become something called on a streaming corner and I know, we make you sickness. do it as part of this your job. <laughs> I can't release anything. I have so much illness it's in me. It's content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything I joy, mu- enjoy must be turned into a podcast <laughs> moment. Right. That's true. What is something that you think is underrated? Well, I guess I think the flip side of what is what I thought was overrated is that I think boredom is really underrated. Like boredom is supposed to be something bad. It's like, oh, you know, oh, I'm bored. I need to do something. And just like the way that Anna was just describing, like some, I would love to be bored. I don't remember what that was like, Like just to have nothing to do, just like not have a thought, you know, I'm just like, I just want to sit here and be so without thought that I'm actually experiencing boredom. And now I have to mm-hmm. figure out something to do. And it's like, that never happens. It's just this continuous, we're so inundated with uh, information 24 hours a day. I mean, with our phones, with social media, it's just like constant, constant stimulation. It's like you never get a chance to just be bored anymore. And I really think that that's part of, like, that should be a part of life. Like, we should have time to be bored, shut our phones off and sort of stare at a wall and see what happens to our brains when we're not doing anything else. Wait, there's just no downtime. Uh, I sometimes yeah. say that when, because I have a compulsion like everyone else to check your phone, you know, if you have access to it, it's constantly on it. So I went camping with a few friends a few months back and where we were, there was no reception. And it was one of the greatest feelings of my life. I was like, well, cause I don't have a choice. You know, if I have, everyone's like, why don't you just turn your phone off? I'm like, because I have a choice. I'm obviously not going to do that. If I turn <laughs> it off two minutes later, I'm going to turn it back on. But yeah. when you're just like, sort of stuck in the middle of the woods and you don't have a choice in the matter, it's it's such a nice feeling to be to be disconnected. And, and there were moments that I was bored. And I was like, Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. We should do this more often. So did you yeah. just like drive to the nearest place that had reception and just like call people and ask them to explain Twitter, like describe Twitter <laughs> to you every 20 minutes? Or I did, how to... <laughs> anytime we drove anywhere, though, I did have like the phone sort of right. in the corners, like, do I have reception? They would just look at me. I'm like, I just want to know what's going on as if it would make any difference if I knew what was going on, you know, like yeah. this, this new news story. And it's funny because news stories in reality are like the same news story for days and weeks and months. And, yeah. you know, in, in the case of certain things, literally years, it's the same story. And yet right. we follow it as if there's something incredibly new happening. But it's like, no, this is the exact same story. We're just talking well, there's about There's a new thing. cartoon. There's a new cartoon bomb. Now. Exactly. So that's yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's changed. Like if you were to check out and then check back in in ten years, it's like, w- are we still talking about this? It's like, yeah, it's the same. It's the same story. Yeah, it is true. Sometimes I'll realize I've like left my phone in the other room for an expen- extended period of time, and I'm like, look at me! Wow, <laughs> what am I off the grid? Oh my, and it's all and it's been like ten <laughs> minutes, but I'm like oh. pioneer over here. <laughs> It's as if I've never even played with tech. Yeah. But I'm always quite impressed if I don't have it like in my pocket. I'm like, well, look at me. Just the queen of checking out. But then quickly, as soon as I realize it's not there, then I go get it. But then you go frantically search for it. Yeah. Then I'm like, well, okay, that was great for 10 minutes. But where are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be honest. This is why I actually hate Apple Watches. This is probably an unpopular Mm -hmm. opinion because people love it so much. But I'm like, it's. You know, now even if you set the phone down in another room, it's still following you on your wrist. I'm like, yeah. it's just, it's okay. It's okay yeah. to disconnect for while you're in the bathroom, possibly just for a minute, just for something. But no, it's now that now it's attached to your wrist in case. Jack, we're talking to you. Hmm? No, you're always texted from the toilet. I said, I know, I know. <laughs> Everyone I know has an Apple Watch, and I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I'm yeah. on my phone Every- already too much. Every time Jack texts me, I'm like, you're, are you in the toilet texting me from your Apple Watch again? <laughs> Are you doing that right now? I swear to God, Jack. It's always Apple Watch texts are like they give you three options and that's it. Like you have to just go with whatever they have. Listen, we're going to have like an entire generation with hemorrhoids because everyone's on their phone in the bathroom. It's like you need to. This is not can't sit there forever. You got to get up and go. Is that how hemorrhoids happen? Yeah, it the is. combination oh. of phone and <laughs> the co- bath- oh, yeah. toilet. It's a it's a it's dangerous. horrible. Yeah. But no, but if you sit there for a long time sitting that's for too what... long. I think no, that's this is true. a real thing. This is a real yeah. thing. Whoa. <laughs> I did <laughs> now not know you're that. rethinking it. You're like, maybe I shouldn't be on oh, the phone. No. So my kids yeah. are not allowed to, you know, have phones, will not be allowed to have phones for as long as possible they're very young but they (laughs) love to just sit there and talk to themselves so i do think there's like something (laughs) about 
just sitting there that is nice. It's like a break from life. But then, yeah, if you bring your phone in with you, it's... Uh, Wait, can I tell you one time your son uh, yeah. asked me, the younger one asked me, what does it mean to be confused? And I was like, I like transcend. I was just like, oh, uh, oh, what? Uh, I wanted to be like, Google you it, need bro. To get back to me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I got, you should probably Google that because that's a tough one for me. But then I was like, wow, children's minds. They're just like looking at something. They're like, what does it mean to be confused yeah and you're like i wish to live such a life <laughs> such a simple life where you're just like i'm curious like <laughs> i'm confused about what it means to be confused and i was like what an incredible question yeah. and then you we just pointed study to me you. you're like your dad is what it means to be confused just <laughs> like he walking actually around. figured it out pretty quickly which i also was like damn he's like a google <laughs> incredible kids are incredible yeah, they wild. just don't even know they don't even know about smartphones and like what a world that you don't even have to think anymore yeah you just go siri <laughs> siri what is this and siri's like i will tell you but aren't oh, there like man. toys smartphones now like there are like toy there phones are. and Ooh. toy tablets and yeah like they're getting them on screens very very quickly yeah 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 it's cute look they're just like they're just like us all right let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and we're back and so like i said up top we talked about cuba making successful vaccines despite economic sanctions And, you know, we've mentioned economic sanctions at various times. We mostly focus on, you know, U.S. news. But when we do talk about international news, it's kind of impossible to ignore. But I don't think people I don't think I like even fully understood the like violence of economic sanctions. But Asal, you've been discussing them like either on Twitter or you know, in the context of Afghanistan and Iran. And I was just wondering if you could kind of speak to like what what it means, like what 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 happens when the U.S. puts economic sanctions on on a country? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what you sort of like suggested right now is this and it's an idea within the country. I think people don't realize it right when you hear when we hear economic sanctions, we think, like, well, it's not war. So that's better. That's like a nice alternative. It's like the benign way of pressuring governments rather than going to war with them. And the reality is, is that it's it's not benign. It's extreme. I mean, it is akin to war uh, in the sense that like why we say we don't say like we shouldn't go to war because we're wasting our, I mean, we do say because partially because we're wasting our own resources, but like part of the moral argument behind why we should avoid like war and conflict in terms of the notion of like an international community and why we founded those things was really like in the wake of these massive wars, World War One, World War Two, just the amount of destruction, devastation and death that was caused by it. It was like, you know, sort of a wake up call for the world saying, hey, there should be better ways for us to figure out our, our differences or our problems. And so this idea of economic coercion and and economic pressure is presented like it's the nice way of doing things, whereas it also causes devastation and destruction and people die because of sanctions, people lose their livelihoods, their jobs, they live in poverty. I mean, that is why we say we shouldn't go to war. And yet the other part of sort of this presentation of sanctions, the way it's talked about by U.S. administrations, and it's not unique to any political party. It's not, I mean, this is just, this is U.S. foreign policy, is that they target these governments that we don't like, right? Governments that, you know, partake in behaviors that is not in the interest of the United States that we don't like for X, Y, and Z reasons that we give. But in fact, they target civilians. Right. And we know this. I mean, the literature on sanctions is so clear of who is actually being hurt by it. And, you know, uh, sort of these exemptions, these humanitarian exemptions get written into sanctions law. But the reality of it is it doesn't work because, you know, you're looking at like, what is a what is a sanction? If like a bank is sanctioned, a central bank of a country is sanctioned and they're trying to purchase medicines, right? They're trying to purchase vaccines, we'll say. In order to purchase something, you need a transaction. There's, there's always a third party, there's a bank, some kind of financial entity in the middle that allows that transaction to take place. And they're so scared 
of violating U.S. sanctions, that they just don't do it. They, they won't do it. It's not a question of whether or not they can legally. They just won't because it's not worth it from a business perspective. If you're a bank, right, it's not worth it for you to allow this transaction to take place in case, you know, you uh, violate U.S. sanctions. And part of it is because there's so many. It's, I mean, have you ever tried to read some of the bills and things that come out of, of Congress, just like legal language? It's complicated for most people to understand. Oh, yeah. And so now you have all of these sanctions. You have, like, Iran is the most sanctioned country in the world. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, like, well over a thousand sanctions, right? You have entities, like financial entities in Iran, that are double or triple sanctioned. So they're not just sanctioned once, if that even makes sense, but they're sanctioned under different designations. So there's just this really complex web of sanctions, and then you expect financial institutions to partake in transactions. They don't. And so what happens is you have countries that have like essential goods that they can't get. You have scarcity, hyperinflation, uh, unemployment, people losing, literally losing their livelihoods, right? I mean, in Iran, you have, we had studies from last year that said something like 10 to 15% of the middle class had been forced into poverty. That's millions of people. And that's not, that's not the government. These governments stay in place. I mean, the most sort of obvious example is Cuba. It's a 60 year embargo. What do you do for 60 years that doesn't work that you think year 61 is going to do the trick? (laughs) Yeah. They'll come around. We're, we're, we're (laughs) close to getting them. Well, and, and there's the fact there's the additional problem, which is, you know, if you're, if, looking at it from the United States, our politicians and repeated U.S. administrations talk about this idea of like an international rules-based order, international law, how like, you know, there's an international community. We love using these phrases. But then like something like 172 countries vote uh, to, for the 30th year in a row to end the embargo on Cuba and two countries say no, the U.S. and Israel. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's a done deal. No, embargo is not going to be lifted. So it's like, what is that the international community then? Is it just these two countries and the other 170 forget what they have to say? So it's it's a combination of the policy and how the policy is implemented when you look at it on a sort of like international scale and the fact that we just don't do any of these things consistently. Like we're like, oh, we don't like this country, so they're going to get sanctioned. But this other country that does the exact same thing, you guys are cool. Right. You, you're you never going to get sanctioned no matter what you do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's It's such a like, you would think like oh, it's all politics but it's like no it's all like money and playing favorites and doing and and making the u.s money and making israel money and if you can't do that then honey you don't got a shot and your people have to now starve to death in the streets and they can't have ppe and they can't have you know basic human rights because the u.s is like not feeling right. it it's a real it's so dark that it's just generally there's no like there's nothing that they can say. Like, even we watch it. We watch it on the news. We watch Biden be like, this has to happen because of this, this, and this. And you're like, mm, not really. Right. Like, but we can, you can go online and read what's happening. You can go online and see, like, actual news. You can go to, like, Al Jazeera. You can go to, like, read what's going on and be like, I don't know. I just don't think that's necessary to the extremes that we take it to, especially with Iran, when you can actually go and look at what's being reported about their nuclear program. And these choice and these are just, it's just like, well, I don't know. Israel's like not feeling it. Right. And you're like, oh, well, fa- oh, well, good. Oh, well, God, you're right. Yeah. Well, I've, posed, I've tried to pose this question where it's like, okay, so let's say right now, there's a lot of talk about Russia and Ukraine, right? It's just Russia, Ukraine, yeah. Russia, Ukraine constantly. And what is, what is it that we're saying Russia is doing that's wrong, that they shouldn't be doing? Ukraine is a sovereign nation. Russia can't invade a sovereign nation. I mean, is no one seeing the irony of the United States saying you can't invade sovereign countries? So that's a basis for we're going to massively punish the Russian government. The Russian government, I put in quotes because, again, it's broad scale sanctions would punish Russian people. But we're going to punish the Russian government because they invaded a sovereign country. Same thing we did. We put sanctions for human rights violations. U.S. is, you know, obviously a country that through its own wars and committing war crimes is abusing human rights. And domestically, mm-hmm. of course, you can talk about systemic racism. You can talk about the fact that we have the most prisoners in the world. In fact, 20, 
one of every four prisoners on the planet is in the United States. So these are all things that we could, uh, that we sanction other countries for that we do ourselves. We sanction members of other countries, uh, politicians in other countries on corruption charges. This while, while in the US, US politicians buy stocks and make money off mm -hmm. of industries that they regulate, which in any other context we would call corruption, but in the US it's called capitalism. So there's that. So the question becomes, okay, would it be justified if right now Americans lost their savings, were starving, couldn't access medicines in a pandemic because of the actions of the U.S. government, which according to the government itself are all sanctionable, sanctionable crimes, right? Because that's what we say to other countries. So it's just this constant loop of hypocrisy that is, if you pay attention to it long enough, you miss being bored. Like I said, boredom. It is underrated. <laughs> it's just the more you pay attention, yeah. the more frustrating it is. Because like, what? We're just we're full of shit. That's the only way of saying it. That that's very yeah. honest. It's like we just we do things and then punish other countries for doing the same things we do. Right. You uh, yeah. retweeted a headline about uh, over a million flee as Afghanistan's economy collapses, and added that Afghans are selling their children and organs to survive while the U.S. is intentionally choking Afghanistan's economy because we lost a 20-year war. Like, that's, yeah, that that's just, I, I feel like that is not getting the level of attention that it probably deserves in the, in the mainstream media, that, like, that is what is happening, that is the consequence. And it's being done in these bills and... That that if you read them all, it would break your brain. Like you you come out like the other end with just like a thirty thousand mile stare because so like they they know how to do it in a way that is so boring that people won't pay attention to it. But the the whole idea of economic sanctions and like how Americans kind of justify it to themselves reminds me of the attitude of like corporations who want credit for giving jobs to people like who think people should be like grateful for like Trump at one point was asked like what humanitarian thing like to name a single humanitarian thing he'd ever done and he talked about like well I feed and clothe thousands of people who work for my company I give so many jobs I'm a job creator and like that idea that like rather than like these are people I should be grateful too, because they serve me and I get to be a billionaire celebrity. Uh, instead of that, it's like, you know, they owe me because I created this job, even though that job would have been there just with a different asshole at the top, probably, if Donald Trump didn't exist. But like with the US and sanctions, obviously, it's different. But like, I feel like it's similar logic, like the US creates the situations where they need people to do things that aren't in their best interest and then starve them when they don't do those things. And again, they act like they should get credit for like any economic activity that happens anywhere in the world. And it's like their right to yeah. withhold economic activity. Like the U.S. economy is coming over there and like feeding them normally and then just choosing not to with economic sanctions. But like, it would be easier for them to do nothing and let children eat and, like, let their families, like, get the food that, like, the global economy would bring to them. But instead, they are doing a great deal of work to kill people, to, like, starve people in ways that are just, like, don't don't make headlines. Yeah, that, that, the fact that it doesn't make headlines is the important part, right? there were a lot of headlines during the Afghanistan withdrawal. So withdrawing mm -hmm. from Afghanistan, everyone across the media spectrum was constantly talking about it. And and, and on sort of uh, right-wing media that wanted to criticize Biden for withdrawing, it was a question of abandoning the Afghan people, right? It was, we're abandoning the... So that was the big thing. It's like, oh, look what we're doing to Afghan people because they, of course, care so deeply about the population <laughs> of Afghanistan. Now those same people are just silent on the fact yeah. that you have, I mean, when you read the stories about people literally lining up to like sell organs because they're trying to survive, they're, they're and when people talk about selling their children, there's another situation, there's another humanitarian crisis. What has been deemed the worst humanitarian crisis in the world in Yemen 
which the U.S. is also complicit in. Um, so I always think, like, think about that fact. Here we are talking about human rights. We, we're centering human rights in foreign policy, and we love human rights. They're so important to us. And yet, the U.S. is complicit in the world's worst ongoing humanitarian crisis and is now complicit and actually actively involved in the w- world's worst oncoming humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. Yeah. So number one and number two, the U.S. is behind that in both cases. It's like, right. how can you still reasonably say that we are concerned about, you know, the, the, the fate of Afghan people when you know more than half the population is facing starvation in a freezing winter and we just do nothing about it. We, we'll spend, so we will spend, this, the United States will spend trillions of dollars, uh, put American soldiers in harm's way, uh, wage a war and bomb a country for two decades in the name of, of liberating them, but then won't lift a finger to not let them starve. Yeah. Like this doesn't require the U.S. to do anything, just allow them access to the, what belongs to the Afghan people, like the, the funds of the central bank of Afghanistan belongs to the Afghan people. Right. And that is being frozen. They have no access to it. This w- which is a central reason why the economy is in freefall. It's collapsing. Right. Yeah, it's requiring intervention by the US to put these sanctions in place and that is preventing that. Like it's I don't like I think people just have such a US centric view of the world that they're just like yeah well they don't get the nice things that we give to other countries as opposed to no the US is going in and like freezing their economy essentially and starving people as a consequence like I mean think about yeah. the fact that the projections are that more Afghans will die of starvation now in the as a consequence of US economic policy than died in 20 years war. Jesus. Wow. It's, uh, and then, you know, naturally the U.S. will then go sell weapons into the region and make money off that, causing further destabilization and violence. It's great. Yeah. We just make money. It's for us to make money. Right? Every time, it's actually one of the most interesting points. It's like, oh, look at these, quote, terrorists who have weapons. They get weapons. I'm like, well, you know, if you wanted less weapons in the Middle East, you could just stop selling them there. <laughs> yeah, just stop, like, you could stop arming giving them, them weapons. The <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, Saudi Arabia is committing war crimes in Yemen. Guess who the U.S. America's number one arms buyer is? Saudi Arabia, and we just right. sell them over and over again with no, yeah. you know, with no thought. It's like where if we have the world's leading, like I think something like forty percent, close to forty percent of the entire world's military budget is spent by the U.S. We're also the world's number one arms dealer. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, we are, are so much of our economy is run on weapons. And it's like, oh, we're, we're a peaceful nation. I'm like, that doesn't <laughs> add up. That doesn't yeah. really add up very well. Yeah, that's the degree to which the U.S. economy f- since like the beginning of the 20th century has been propped up by the milita- military industrial complex. And like we, we like it came up when people were comparing some of the budgetary, you know, infrastructure bills or like humanitarian aid domestically with the defense budget. And they were like, oh, this thing that's being described in the media as a $10 billion bill, that's over the course of like a decade. And the military budget is 10 times that for just this year. Like it's just invisible to people and therefore just like so powerful and just like gets away with like doing really whatever they want. But I I think it like is the secret behind the US economy that like Americans don't want to look at is that the entire economy is propped up by the fact that they spend as much as they want on the military on weapons. And yeah, it's horrible. That comparison point yeah. was so important, right? When when we looked at like Build Back Better or any anything where it was social services, right? Like services, actually safety nets for American people cannot get that passed in Congress. Even even a Congress that is, you know, a House and Senate with Democrat majorities and a Democrat White House. Uh, I think one of the biggest frustrations for me is when you listen to like the Biden ad and say, oh, it's the Republicans. I'm like, well, is right. it? Yeah. 
Like no. it is to a certain extent, <laughs> but also you have the majority in everything. So somehow amazingly the Republicans when they are a majority can do whatever they want and then when they're a minority they can block everything. Right. And Democrats are always helpless. Hmm. Weird. Majority or almost minority are always helpless. Almost as if that's their job. <laughs> Secretly, that's what they're there for is to be bad. As if they're not all money in their right. pockets as well. Yeah. To like claim the progressive ideals, but then actually not wow. not get any of them to move forward. Well, in order to sort of like sell this idea, first of all, the fact that it's called defense budget is itself <laughs> complete yeah, bullshit, funny, right? <laughs> right? Like we're not, we are, no one is attacking us here. <laughs> right. Like when this is not happening it's been a while, in, in America. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Whereas everywhere else in the world, they're, they, like if you look at the uh, the Middle East, especially where we've had the biggest footprint in the last couple of decades, I mean, there's constant, constant war all over the region. And so we talk about defense when our military is across the world. Like no one is at our borders. Right. We have the U.S. military military bases all over the world. We have, you know, in in the middle of the Persian Gulf, you have the U.S. Coast Guard. I love that. That's one of my favorite things. The U.S. Coast Guard. The U.S. The Coast Gulf. Guard. <laughs> <laughs> the guard of the U.S. Coast is in yeah. the Persian Gulf, huh? And so you have to have this sort of media hysteria that we're, we're always in danger. We have, because mm -hmm. the only way to justify the amount of money we spend is that it's to protect American... I mean, I think Biden actually said that today about the attack in Syria that took out, I don't know how many leaders ISIS has, but yet another ISIS leader that took out an ISIS leader, killed a few several civilians, and then he, he said something to the effect of, or tweeted something to the effect of, you know, uh, protecting American lives at home or something. Well, like, but Syria is not attacking the U.S. Right. There right. are no Syrian troops in the U.S. There are no protecting, Syrian troops or yeah. military bases anywhere yeah. close, not even on the same hemisphere. And somehow that's, that's the way that it's framed. So it's, you know, these countries are all a threat to the U.S., Russia, China, Iran, at one point, it was Iraq, which is why we had to invade Afghanistan, which is why we had to invade. So you're we're con we're bombarded, which is like psychological torture to do that to your own people. Like we are bombarded with messages that tell us we are always under threat. Oh yeah. And so that justifies just trillions of dollars constantly being spent on on wars abroad. Yeah, it's a real fucking mess. Here's here's my pitch. <laughs> so we continue to call it the defense budget, right? But we pivot it to social services, but we continue to call it the defense budget because we need defense from the U.S. government. Right. The people. Okay. <laughs> because even one third of that budget could do miracles for this country's social services. Yeah. Just even the bare minimum to give us health care. Right. I think it used to be called like the war budget or something. Howard Zinn writes about that in a people's history of the United States that the department changed its name when they stopped waging defensive wars and like moved into starting to be like offensive. They changed their name to Department of Defense to throw everybody off the scent. And yeah, while that's it was Department of War. That's what it was. It was yeah. Department of War and Department yeah. of War became Department of Defense. Yeah. And can you imagine how much they paid the PR agency that helped them pivot? Yeah. Like, and we just kind of want to have a more positive spin. Maybe let make it look like we're in trouble. They probably gave them cartoon bombs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably where it all comes from. They're like, now make all imagery a little cartoonish. <laughs> right. And everyone will be like, oh my God, how cute. We do need that nuclear bomb. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, okay, great. All right, let's take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Rudy Giuliani and Dolly Parton because we have to. And we're back and just we we kind of got a sneak preview like a there was a leak of an upcoming piece of mass media that will presumably feel like a psychedelic experience that went bad. Just like that Jimmy Fallon Paris Hilton clip that we talked about uh, last week where they're talking about their like board ape NFTs. 
and everyone's just like, yay. <laughs> so we got a new one and it feels like a real doozy where we got, you know, it's like a Tim and Eric bit, but real because uh, apparently last week it will air next month. But last week it was revealed that one of the masked singers was Rudy Giuliani. And I think Ken Jong and Robin Thicke both walked out. Robin, Robin Thicke, Thicke, a hero. activist of our generation. <laughs> hero, Robin Thicke. <laughs> oh, huge. You know, and if I were, if you were to be like, pick which host would or which uh, judge would walk out, my first pick would have been, well, obviously Robin Thicke would not stand for this. Right. Classically. Well, I've always like felt a little bit better knowing that he's still out there sort of protecting our <laughs> values, and, you know, just making sure that people don't get away with some bullshit like this. Um, no, I mean, I, at least in this case, he did the right thing. I just can't like I'm I've never seen an episode of Masked Singer like beginning to end. When I have seen a clip, it really feels like a bad dream. Like the the paper mache masks are scary. The editing is like aggressive and strange. And then to have the person under the mask be Rudy Giuliani. I mean, we should obviously should not be surprised that he said yes to this. Like he first of all, like his I remember he used to like love to dress up as a woman and sing and dance on SNL and at any banquet that he would be allowed to do that at. He just like needs attention the way other living organisms need oxygen. So like, I'm not surprised that he said yes to this. I'm assuming that he's been asking to do this for all seven seasons since they started the show. But I don't know. It It is on Fox, which you know, it's made in America for Americans who were previously okay with Sarah Palin being on The Masked Singer in 2020. The Sp- the Sean Spicer thing is getting brought up a lot in this context. I personally feel like that was not the worst thing because watching him try to dance and like wear those outfits was a little like the shame scene where like Cersei is paraded through the city because he's just like not a good dancer and not he was not pulling off those looks but yeah it remains to be seen how the Giuliani thing goes I think he's probably set a new high point for the show in the category of costume that would smell the worst when the mask (sighs) is pulled off gross (laughs) why would you even pull up that imagery ugh (laughs) (laughs) It will certainly be sweaty on the inside. Oh, so much sweat, probably hair dye, like pouring down into his face. Oh, this is miserable. And the editing, have you ever watched like a clip of the show when Um, they like do the mask reveal? And it's like, it's It's like an episode of Black Mirror. None of it feels real. You're like, "Hmm, okay, there's a budget for this. Right. Someone is betting a lot of money into this. It's wild that this show is so popular and has maintained multiple seasons. I think the weirdest part, not, and this is just like one example of it, obviously, but is this like politicians are not entertainers. Like when did they become entertainers? They're not comedians. They're, oh, and yeah. by the way, since we're saying that comedians are also not politicians. So it's like <laughs> this sort of conflating of the seriousness of the work that they're supposed to be doing, right? Like you are charged if, if you are the U.S. government, you're not only charged with the responsibility of, you know, carrying out the will of 330 plus million people in this country, but you're the most powerful country in the world. And you're literally just on a daily basis killing people across the world. And now we're watching them as the mass singer and like dancing yeah. with the stars. And you're saying what this is not if there's a sort of especially for problematic political figures, which is someone like Rudy Giuliani. There's this thing of rehabilitation in, in media. It's like if you make them funny, if you make them clowns, then people will stop thinking about their criminality <laughs> and right, the things right. that they did. And it's like, just imagine this and, and to know how ridiculous our behavior is, imagine it in another country. It's like, imagine we bring up, this is what they do in Russia. And suddenly it's like, oh, that's disgusting. Like, here's this person right. who was part of an administration who did X, Y, and Z, who, who 
tried to coup the country. And now we're inviting him on our fun programming to laugh at them and, and laugh with them. And it's just a very bizarre yeah. way that we've developed relationships with these politicians. And you see, see the mm-hmm. same thing with, it's different and categorically than someone like Giuliani, but with like George Bush, you know, yeah, it's just like, oh, he's everyone's favorite little guy. I'm like, he's yeah. a war criminal. <laughs> yeah, so he paints. Bizarre. He has no idea <laughs> the damage he's doing done in the middle east and guess what he's a painter now well then you know screw it it's fine now america's national treasure george w bush (laughs) like great 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 yeah i will say it does say that apparently jenny mccarthy and nicole sharon scheringer scheringer scherzinger scherzinger sorry don't know how to say that last name it's nicole scherzinger they both stayed on stage to which i'm not surprised Jenny McCarthy did. But a part of me thinks like Nicole Scherzinger probably has no idea who Rudy Giuliani is. Who is Nicole Scherzinger? She's from like Pussycat Dolls. Like she's a singer, songwriter, that type. But I don't think she probably has. And she's British. So I don't I don't. She probably is just like, look at this cute little old man under the mask. I don't know. I'm sorry. It's terrible. I don't know what impression I'm doing. But (laughs) that's the feeling I get that she just has no idea what's going on. And then Jenny McCarthy. Well, we could sure she just doesn't even care yeah i feel like she's rudy gang yeah yeah Yeah, she feels like she's not worried about what rudy's up to yeah i feel like that the usually america loves a celebrity who doesn't take themselves too seriously like jennifer lawrence she like fell down and talked about pooping her pants and you know she's you know even an athlete we love when they like poke fun at themselves but like we like we should want politicians to take themselves seriously they should Mm -hmm. they should be taking their job pretty seriously because yeah yeah i think that's that's the thing it's like i also i don't think that we should go to sort of like either extreme politicians are human beings they can they're fallible they're allowed to make mistakes they sometimes say things or they have said things a long time ago that that people would take issue with and there should be that space to have that like discourse and that discussion, but but to sort of to trivialize them is the part that's is frustrating to watch. It's like, well, you're trivializing their actions to them. It's like, oh, that was really funny. No, it's not. Right. Putting the country in danger is not like a funny thing. So it's just like very weird choices by the and and they do it obviously for the same reason you know media a, a channel or a, a broadcast company will do anything. They'll get ratings. That's all that yeah sort of like matters in the end. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we're, we're going to cut this part out, but this whole episode is a viral piece of content for The Masked Singer. It was all yeah, just a, yeah. having you on everything. This is was branded just a, content. This is branded content to get people to tune in when the big reveal comes around that Rudy... Also, like, <laughs> do they disguise their voices when they're singing the songs? Like, are they auto-tuned? Yeah, it, it, I think it's purposeful, so you don't you can't automatically guess who oh, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I was going to be like, I'm pretty sure, like, if I heard somebody like breathing heavily and like drunkly slurring over the back oh, bagging yeah. track in a thick New York accent, I'd be like, huh, I mean, we know who that is. Like, it probably isn't him, right? I've never seen the show, but it was the objective to get, I mean, how would you guess it if it's not their voice? If it's not them singing, how could you possibly guess who the person is? I guess I don't understand the premise of the show. So apparently every season has a theme and this one was the good, the bad and the cuddly. So I guess it's just like, it's like people who could potentially fall. Yeah, 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 he's a cuddly. Uh, Who who, who, uh, could you want to cuddle with more than Rudy Giuliani, (laughs) a sweaty alcoholic pervert who tried to bring down our country? I also have to correct myself. Apparently, I was thinking Nicole Scherzinger is someone else. She's not British. She's American. So I don't know what her excuse is with liking or being okay with Rudy Giuliani being there. I guess she is actually American. Sorry. I don't know why, but Pussycat Dolls, I confused them with another. I don't know. Sorry. Nicole Scherzinger is American. If there are Nicole Scherzinger stands out there who listen to the Daily Zeitgeist, you you don't need to listen to the Daily Zeitgeist. You're good. You're you're good. Just watch The Masked Singer or whatever. I actually don't know anything about her. Maybe she's an amazing humanitarian who just ripped him a new asshole when he took his mask off. So I don't think so. Based on this article I'm reading, <laughs> yeah. it said her and Jenny McCarthy stayed on uh, and bantered. Yeah, they just like bantered with him, which what does that even mean? How do you banter with Giuliani? 
Oh, the guy loves he that guy loves improv. He was actually a lot of a lot of early UCB people talk about how you know you, he you was would always a, be a level staple four yeah. at the ASCAT. <laughs> and then, really quickly, just to end on a high note. Dolly Parton may have just saved the Mexican pizza. Hmm. So a few days back, uh, the takeout, which is the fast food blog that we treat like the New York Times on this show, pointed out that Dolly Parton had voiced her support for the return of the Mexican pizza in an interview with Insider. And like not she didn't like take a hard stance. She was like, oh, like, what are my favorite things to eat? And like named a bunch of Taco Bell items and then was like, oh, and there's this other one. Uh, Mexican pizza, they, like one of the restaurants used to make the Mexican pizza, and then somebody told her that they'd taken that away and were like, should they bring it back? She was like, yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like she waged a campaign, but I don't know. She seems like magnetically pulled to whatever the right opinion is on everything, and they apparently are bringing back the Mexican pizza this spring, according to <laughs> Mashed dot com which is sort of like the washington post of this podcast mm-hmm. so maybe she can bring know. back nacho fries as well because those are also delicious and i don't know why nacho they keep fries. taking them away i yeah. know it's so like it's seasonal give me yeah. a yeah. break we when did potatoes become seasonal i have no idea <laughs> potatoes and cheese that's all this the fan yeah 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 it's incredible it's called parton power i believe Whenever Parton puts her power into something it comes back she invests the vaccine mexican pizza all of it. <laughs> right. She's her powers are strong. History we will judge more. which of those is more important, but <laughs> I, I have my it really <laughs> does feel like Mexican pizza at this point. Like what <laughs> based on how like? I feel in this country, people care <laughs> more the about the vaccine. point. The, yeah, Mexican <laughs> pizza than the vaccine. <laughs> it's just like something about it just like really made people happy. Now here's what we do. You put the vaccine in the Mexican pizza. Thank you. Could you imagine this America? is why you should be running this country. You make a vaccine requirement for eating fast food. <laughs> yeah, that would be incredible. Could you imagine the country would burn down? Yeah. People would no, be they would so be, People mad. would be very mad. <laughs> they would be so pissed. Yeah. I mean, what we talked about, I, I forget where it was in the world, but they had talked about having, I think they actually did put in a vaccine mandate for weed. And to like in order to buy legal weed, you had to get be vaccinated. And like they saw a huge increase. So wait, really? Wasn't it supposed to be weed and alcohol? Like if you make a vaccine mandate for weed and alcohol, like you're done. You're, everybody will get vaccinated. It's done. Yeah. I oh. I was suggesting alcohol and Miles was like, you know, like that that would be the end. Like that would be the end of society. People would lose their <laughs> shit. But I, I'm pretty sure there was like a legal weed, like a trial of a legal weed, like vaccine mandate, and it had an effect. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah, I mean, fast food. Yeah. All right. Sorry, I was trying to fi- <laughs> I was trying to find it to fact check myself to make sure that wasn't just a dream because I dream in podcasts. <laughs> But. You're dreaming like stories on a dock. <laughs> yes, yes. Asal, it's been such a pleasure. Dr. Rad, I will call you Dr. Rad. Uh, <laughs> it's been so wonderful having you on the show. Can't wait to have you back again. But you, like I said up top, you are a must follow on Twitter. You do an amazing, like, sort of tracked changes, correcting of New York Times headlines and just various headlines. And people just need to follow you if they don't already. Where can people find you and follow you? Uh, thank you, Jack and Anna, for, for having me on today. That was This was a really great conversation. And I really actually do hope that Dolly hears this part about the nacho fries. I'm <laughs> being very serious about that. I love them. Yeah. And they are not readily available to me. I was just going to say, I fucked up. Like, as a, as a podcast host, I should have asked, like, what you guys' favorite like lost menu items are like menu items. Of, well, you already like, know or, mine. Right. <laughs> so it's nacho fries. Okay. Yeah. Mine was the soft potato taco and they actually did bring it back. Okay. I was going to say, I'm they like, I'm pretty sure back. they have that still. They brought or, it back. I guess they took it away and now they, they brought it back. I put in a special request with Dolly Parton and, and on her website where it's like suggestions for me to get involved in. And she did she brought it back for me. There's mm-hmm. actually something else. And this is all revealing just how much fast food and specifically Taco Bell I eat. I don't know <laughs> if that's good, but 
It's delicious. It is. With our with our listenership, unfortunately, that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> they had on like the dollar menu too, it was like a beefy Frito burrito and they actually have Fritos Ooh. chips. Yeah. That in was the so burrito. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, the fuck? I may have like shed a tear when they took that off the menu. I was like, you put Fritos in the burrito. That was brilliant. I don't understand why we're we're taking away really good items. But yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. you can find me. I do not talk about this stuff on Twitter. <laughs> I should. I should probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe you should, honestly. But I know. No, this is <laughs> my next sort of venture on Twitter will be yeah. fast food items that <laughs> I, can do, I can do a lot about that, actually. <laughs> um, my handle on Twitter is Asalrad. So it's just at A-S-S-A-L-R-A-D. And that, that is really the only social media platform that I pay attention to. And in fact, the funny thing about it is the only reason I am on Twitter is because I was forced to be by work. Uh, when I started working at Nyack in the beginning of 2019, they're like, well, you know, you have to be on Twitter. I'm like, do I? Are you sure about that? They're like, yeah, um, no. You know Twitter. I have a PhD, right? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, mean, like, I, will um... say, I will say it is a great source of um, just like fast information of like what's going on. And because I wasn't on it, I wasn't quite aware of the fact that you actually have like heads of state diplomats. These people are using this platform to, yeah. I mean, if you're Trump, he was using it to try to declare war. So, I mean, it's important to know what's going on apparently on Twitter. There's real stuff happening there. But yes, yeah. that's the that's the only social media platform that I am active on. Cool. And is there a tweet or some work of social media you've been enjoying? Uh, Nima Shirazi had a tweet actually about the the Bob Menendez nuclear weapon graphic, mm. something where he called <laughs> because the funny thing about the graphic too is it's supposed to so he just this like blimp cartoon looking bomb, and it's supposed to be the Iranian flag so it's like green white and red, except the stripes are a uh, vertical instead of horizontal and so it's actually the Italian flag and not the Iranian <laughs> flag, and so Nima pointed that out and I thought it was hilarious because we were just like, <laughs> huh. I have to read the tweet actually oh yeah. You guys can pull up the tweet because it's pretty it's pretty funny that he basically says something about Iran is developing its safeguard nuclear energy program using an Italian blimp. So <laughs> I thought that was That's pretty really good. good. <laughs> Damn. That is true though. That's a classic Iranian move. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, where can people find you and follow you? What's the tweet you've been enjoying? I'm at Anna Hosni on Twitter. Uh, a few tweets I've been enjoying. One is from Zach Anner at Zach Anner, and it's the mass singer is not the bastion of integrity I once believed it to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then one from Meredith at Dietz underscore Meredith. My dad just texted me, can you give me a call? So either he wants to say hi or my whole family is dead. Could be both. <laughs> oh my God, I saw that too, and I thought it was hilarious because I, re- I could relate to it so much. Yeah. My dad's always like, give me a call. And I'm like, oh my God, what happened? And he's like, what's up? Yeah. And you're like, what? The God, don't do that. Don't send those texts. And there's actually, it's every time, every time my dad's like, leaves me a voice message like, Anna, give me a call back. And then I call back and he's like, so I was at Costco. <laughs> and, and you're like, what are you, <laughs> like, why did you do and this? Like, when I leave a message or like ask somebody to call me or anything like that, I am always so, I'm like, but don't worry, nothing's wrong. Like everything's yeah. good. Like I feel like that's how you tell apart people who have like anxiety. <laughs> people who don't. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It gets so. me, I always get scared for a second. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then it's always just my dad was just like, I saw some, I saw this. It's always at Costco. Too. My dad's always at Costco. He goes every day now that he's retired and he has nothing to do. And it's always like something he saw at Costco that he thought maybe I should go to my Costco in LA and see if they have, because maybe I'd be interested in it, but maybe not. I don't know. Something to think about. Anyway, I was in the garden and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> just text me like I was at Costco would love to tell you about something versus call me, call me. when you can <laughs> like okay everyone died <laughs> that's what I got uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien uh, tweet I enjoyed Professor Hinkley at Prof underscore Hinkley tweeted babe listen I need you to bring me $15,000 cash in my passport I out pizza the hut and they are after me. 
And then Mike Scalant, I don't want to read this. I feel embarrassed, but I'm going to what? anyways. Mike Scalant's tweeted, me, <laughs> me jerking off a dog with the jackass boys. So you guys said you have a show? What's it about? <laughs> that is so stupid. <laughs> that one really got me. Like he doesn't know that this is part of the show. I'll have to explain <laughs> the joke <laughs> to you. Uh, anyways, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. And we're going to ask super producer Justin to come on in and uh, tell the people about a song that he thinks they might enjoy that we will be linking off to in the footnotes. Thank you so much for the intro, Jack. Uh, I've noticed for the every day so far of February, we've been highlighting black musicians. Uh, so I just want to keep that trend going. Hopefully we you know, make it through the whole month. But one of my favorite songs I'm enjoying right now is uh, by a very well-known artist, Burna Boy. But this song really hits me because if you want to feel like you're driving in an open top jeep on a beach Ooh. in subtropical africa for uh, just a few minutes turn on this thing okay this is konibaj i think i'm mispronouncing that because i have stupid american ears and this is how they hear them and this is how my stupid <laughs> american mouth reinterprets that sound um but this the key to this track's funkiness is its syncopation the percussion the guitars, the way they play off of each other, and then mm. the rhythms and the counter melodies, oh boy, they will just send you to another place. You can have so much fun analyzing the little pieces of this song that he keeps throwing in. There's all types of saxophones and strings and little pieces of African percussion that your mind can just plant a flag in and, and just just sit there and enjoy your, your time. So check this out. This is Koni Baj, K-O-N-I. B-A-J-E by Burna Boy, and you can check that out in the footnotes. All right. Damn. If I ever make a piece of music, I'm going to ask Justin to describe it to people. He'll probably shit on it because it will be bad, but he's good at that. He's really good at describing songs. Anyways, The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for us this morning. Uh, we are back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, though, and we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Bye.